Welcome into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KLA HG2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me is David Meyer. David, how are you today? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing pretty good, and that's great to hear. And just like last week, we're going to go ahead and get started with our African American Athlete of the Week. And we're going to continue to do this every Tuesday in February. Be sure to check our social media page for who next week's is. This week's athlete is Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls legend. Jordan began his career in 1984 after he was drafted by the Chicago Bulls with the third pick in the first round of the 1984 NBA draft. He went on to have the most decorated NBA career to date. Jordan was the 1984 Rookie of the Year and part of the 1984 All-Rookie Team. The five-time MVP also won six NBA championships. In all six of those championships, he was the Finals MVP as well. The 14-time All-Star ended his career after 15 seasons in 2003. Jordan is widely regarded as the greatest basketball player of all time. And during his NBA career, he actually retired and had a little hiatus where he was in the MLB with the Chicago White Sox. Michael Jordan is this week's athlete. Be sure to check out the social media for next week's athlete. Now, let's get into some NFL here. Obviously, biggest game of the year in the NFL world, it was Chiefs versus the Buccaneers. And when you look at the game, it didn't go like I thought it was going to go. It was surprising to me. 31 to 9, Buccaneers winning. Obviously, Tom Brady winning is not surprising, but the game in general was. What surprised you the most in this matchup? Just how ineffective the Chiefs offense was. They really couldn't get anything going. No touchdowns at all. Just nothing happening. Even with Patrick Mahomes doing everything he could, they just couldn't score. And you can't win if you can't score. Yeah, you're exactly right. And what surprised me the most, you talked about Mahomes' inability to score, it was the Tampa Bay defense. Wow, what an improvement they made from the first matchup they had this year. The first time they played this season, Tampa Bay, I mean, uh, Tampa Bay's defense, yes, they gave up over 200 yards in the first quarter to Tyreek Hill. 210 yards in the first quarter. I mean, that is phenomenal. And they went on to give up 280 yards. Phenomenal for Tyreek Hill. And when you look at that defense coming to this game, being able to stop the run was huge for them because it forced Mahomes to be able to forced him to move around. He wasn't able to get set within the pocket. And I think that was huge. And it was the most surprising for me because I really expected a high-scoring shootout. I expected like a 38-31 or maybe even a 34-31. And I expected the Chiefs to come out on top. It's Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. They're supposed to start their dynasty. So that was the most surprising for me. Now, when you look at Patrick Mahomes in this matchup, he didn't have the best game. And now when you look at his passer rating in the Super Bowl, it's around 65 when you combine both Super Bowls there. Has four interceptions in those Super Bowls. Are you worried about Patrick Mahomes? Does this change his perception at all? Not really. He's still a up-and-coming superstar who's going to be good for a long time. It just shows how important offensive lines are in the NFL. How we saw Patrick Mahomes play in the Super Bowl is how I imagine he would play if he was drafted by the Bears. Just no offensive line help and running for his life all game. That's what he would be with the Bears. And it just shows he's still a very talented player. And he's 
able to make all these crazy throws, but if you don't have a good team around you, you can't win. Yeah, it makes it really difficult to win. And I think this is a sign of the times for Kansas City. I'm not saying the Chiefs aren't going to win another Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes, but when you look at this team, next year that money kicks in. He's going to be a $45, $50 million quarterback per season. You then are going to lose those key pieces that Patrick Mahomes now has around him, your two-star left tackles. You could lose one of them because you cannot afford to pay them. You start losing weapons. The defense starts getting decimated a little bit. You're going to start losing those guys. And this could be the future of the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are going to have to learn to adapt to that a little bit. Obviously, their tackles were injured, and I think that played a huge part in this game. But when I look at Patrick Mahomes, his performance in general, you look at the stats and you you say, okay, that wasn't great. It really wasn't that good. But Patrick Mahomes, I saw a tweet. Patrick Mahomes, it said Patrick Mahomes had seven of the greatest uh, incompletions in NFL history. And that is so true. He was running around for his life every single play. He had the hurt foot. He had the turf toe. And he's going to get surgery on it. And yet he was still diving around, throwing passes, hitting his receivers right in the hand, and sometimes even right in the face mask, and the drop touchdown. It was impressive what he did. I'm still impressed with Patrick Mahomes. He still showed that he has all the talent in the world. He just needed his teammates to also rise up to overcome those injuries, and they just didn't do it in that situation. When's the last time you've seen Tyreek Hill just kind of get locked down, really a non-factor throughout the game? The fastest receiver in the league, the Cheetah, get locked down in a game. It just doesn't happen, and Tampa Bay was able to do that. And Travis Kelsey, yes, he had about 10 catches, I believe about 120, 130 yards. It was a very quiet 120, 130 yards at that. I didn't know that going into the fourth quarter. He had that many yards because it just seems like the Chiefs' offense was so stagnant for most of the game. So does my perception of Mahomes change? Not even a little bit. He's still a star, and he's still going to be a star. I'm just worried that we could see possibly what happened with Russell Wilson and the Seahawks where they're going to be successful but never that Super Bowl champion successful. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. Now we're going to look at the Buccaneers' defense. We talk about the Chiefs' offense and their struggles. This Buccaneers' defense needs a lot of credit, too. What made them so successful? The ability to, just the front seven in general, the ability to pressure Patrick Mahomes and make sure he didn't have any time to throw. And also with that, having, like, stopping the run game. You really, the, the Chiefs did not get anything going with the run, and that sets up their whole offense. And if they can't run the ball, they're going to have to straight up drop Mahomes back with no play action. And you're going to have the ability to let those defensive ends go straight for Patrick Mahomes and not have to worry about sealing off the edge. Uh, one of my favorite stats over of the game was Mahomes um, was pressured on 29 of his 56 dropbacks, which is 52% of the time he was pressured. You you can't win if your quarterback has no time to throw. Yeah, you're exactly right. And you have to give big credit to Tampa Bay for that. The front seven was phenomenal. Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul coming off the edges. And Vita Vea coming back from injury was huge. He only had, I believe, it was one tackle on the stat sheet. But if you actually watched that game, you saw he was making Patrick Mahomes move 
almost every single play. They made him uncomfortable. And then what they were able to do in the secondary, for me, I think is a big key. The front seven did such a good job of stopping the run. And then also those linebackers covering Travis Kelsey, they did phenomenal. And it was truly an impressive performance. And Todd Bowles deserves a ton of credit. When they were able to take away Kelsey with their linebackers and then also get to Patrick Mahomes in the, with the pass rush, what they were able to do in the back end and their secondary, they played. They did what they do well all year long, man-to-man coverage, and then they just had a cover two safeties back there. And they literally just hovered, and they took away everything the Chiefs wanted to do. Anytime Tyreek Hill tried to go deep, he now had someone over top of him and underneath. He was bracketed. Then Travis Kelsey was not able to attack deep. He just had to be intermediate over the middle. And those are two of the fastest linebackers in the league. And they showed it. Devin White had a whale of a game as well. He was phenomenal in this matchup. Young linebacker they took, I believe, with the fifth or sixth overall pick just a couple years ago. He did a great job. And now, one of the things that's being talked about a lot with this matchup has been penalties and how that affected the game when you look at this game and you look at all the penalties that were called both ways, some say the Chiefs a lot more, do you think they were a deciding factor in the outcome of this game? Absolutely. Penalties are always going to be a deciding factor. I don't think it was intentionally skewed one way or the other. It was just the Chiefs' defense wasn't disciplined. There was the uh, offsides call on a kit on a uh, field goal try that then led to a first down for Tampa Bay and overall the Chiefs took 11 penalties for 120 yards that you're not going to win if you're taking 11 penalties for 120 yards in comparison Tampa Bay only had four penalties for 39 yards you have to be disciplined on offense um, on defense especially because you're just giving Tom Brady extra chances to go down the field and score and gave him extra chances extra chances and they allowed him to score and couldn't win that game yeah you're exactly right and a lot of people are talking about the penalties oh the Chiefs they got robbed of this game because of penalties they set the Buccaneers up to win and a lot of people talk about the drive close to halftime where they took away the pick and then also moved Brady down to the one yard line and when I look at it I think that's being blown up way out of proportion. Penalties and right before halftime setting up a score does not change the three-score difference in which this game was. And penalties are a factor in every game. Whether you like the call or not, refs are on the field and they have their own ability to call what they see on the field. You may not like it or agree with it, but that as a referee is what you have to do. You make the calls based off of what you see. And a lot of people are saying, oh, well, it's Tom Brady. He's, he's getting these penalties because he's Tom Brady. No, he's getting these penalties because the Chiefs, the last two years, are one of the most penalized teams when it comes to defensive pass interference, defensive holding. This is nothing new. And some people talk about last Super Bowl and say, well, the Chiefs defense didn't get called in that one. There's a difference between officials. They have the right to call it as they see fit. Officials in one game may let people play. Let the defenders grab, let the receivers push off a little bit. Just let them play like we saw in the NFC Championship game. But others will not. Others are going to call the penalties, and they're going to be more strict with them. And also, when you look at the officiating crew that did this game, 
they did Kansas City games twice in the regular season, I believe, and they called 10-plus penalties in both of those matchups. So going into it, you know what type of game is going to be called by the officials. And if you're an NFL player, you have to be able to adjust to that. You have to be able to see, okay, I can't be as grabby here as a defender, and I get it, covering Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski, and then also Tom Brady at quarterback, it's not easy. And no, it really isn't. But at the end of the day, you have to do it without getting those flags because those automatic first downs are killers. You'd rather them almost catch the ball because if you get the passing interference in the end zone, they're all the way to the one there. And in that situation, if you're burnt, give it up. But I would rather give myself the opportunity to make that play than to just take the flag and get moved to the one-yard line. And now we move into the MVP of the game, Tom Brady. And the great Tom Brady just continues his reign on the NFL. Do you think that he deserved the MVP? There's some people out there saying it should have been someone off that defense. Do you think Tom Brady deserved that MVP? Yeah, it's it's hard. I think the defense as a unit could have been given MVP, but it's hard to nail down one specific player on a defense because it's really a team effort, a collaborative effort on defense where it's a lot easier to see, all right, Tom Brady threw three touchdowns, no interceptions, with only eight incompletions. That's an MVP winning stat line. He didn't throw for a ton of yards, but he was accurate, and he didn't turn over the ball. That's just looking at the box scores right now. He's the clear MVP for me. Yeah, I agree 100%. When you look at Tom Brady in this game, what do I think he did? He flexed his dominance on the NFL. That's what he did with this performance. He went out there and had a vintage Tom Brady performance when everyone last year was calling him out saying he's done, that if he left Belichick, he's a system QB, he wouldn't be successful. He goes out there, wins the Super Bowl with a new team and a completely different offense and still shows he can be successful. And what makes him so good at this age, it's incredible because the players that last this long, when you look at any position of players that – Last this long, you look at Frank Gore, you look at Jerry Rice, you look at uh, Brett Favre, you look at Tom Brady. These guys all have, they're physically gifted, obviously, but the one thing that separates them from the rest is their football IQ. When you look at it, they're not relying on pure athleticism to get them to where they're going. When you look at some guys like Patrick Mahomes, he's a guy who's going to run around and he has an amazing arm. And that's what makes him so successful. Tom Brady's never had the best arm in the league. He's never been the fastest quarterback in the league, never been the most mobile quarterback in the league. But anytime he's been out there, he's had the highest IQ of anyone on the football field. And that's what makes him so successful. And this was him just showing it again. And he proves the box score when you look at it doesn't show that he had some monster performance like he did against the Eagles. But he does exactly what it takes to win. He doesn't care what the box score looks like. He goes out there and puts on a great performance. And if you look at the game as a whole, he was wildly more successful than what the box score would even show in that matchup. And now, talking about Tom Brady some more here, is he the unquestioned greatest of all time after this win? Is anyone even close to him? There's really no one close to him. He's, at this point in the NFL history... He is the greatest of all time. And I, you know I love stats, and I'm going to prove it with one statistic. 
he has more rings, Super Bowl rings, to himself than any team. Team overall. More rings than any team. Just, he's, I dislike him as a person and as a player, but he is so good and it makes me angry. <laughs> he is. He's he's the greatest of all time. And there's no argument anymore. There really isn't. And I don't think there's been an argument ever since he won that fifth Super Bowl. Once he became the first quarterback to win that fifth Super Bowl, I'm the biggest Joe Montana fan in the world. And I admit that after he won that fifth Super Bowl, that he is the greatest of all time. He took that step at the quarterback position. And when you look at it, People could try to compare Tom Brady to Peyton Manning, let's say, compare him to Aaron Rodgers, and you look at it, does he have the arm talent that those guys have? No. But when you look at stats-wise, he's going to have them all beat in every statistical category. And then also, when you look at it, Super Bowls. He has seven Super Bowl rings. Seven. It's incredible what he's done. There's no one close to him, and when you look at it, you can argue for who second is, but after this game, number one is wrapped up for sure. And now when you look at what happened in this matchup, there's a little beef between Tyron Mathieu and Tom Brady. They were really going at each other, and they were letting it known that they were going to give their best effort towards one another. Did you enjoy that little beef that they had in the game? Yeah, it, it was something to focus on and something to be interested in in an otherwise boring game you know it's the Super Bowl the game that all these guys have been working so hard to be at and to hopefully win that you're gonna be a little angrier a little more emotional it's gonna get chippy and I enjoyed seeing some smack talk there yeah I loved it I really did. When you look at these two, they're two of the most fierce competitors in the NFL. They really are. Tom Brady's been doing it forever. Tyrone Mathieu is a guy that when he came into the league was a third-round pick, and he's he's come back from so many injuries, the ACL tears he had with Arizona. He's continued to battle back, and every time he's on the field, he's one of the best safeties in the league. And I really did enjoy it because Tom Brady and him, when they first got into it, he immediately said to him, I'm going to come after you. And then he throws a touchdown to Antonio Brown. And Tyron Mathieu also gave his best effort back in that matchup. But those two going at it was great. And it really gave a good storyline to follow, like you said. I thought it really made it more interesting. And now we're going to look at another uh, part of the game that was pretty interesting. And this one was after it was all decided. And the Bucks finally made the last play to get the win. Antoine Winfield Jr. threw up the famous deuces. To, towards Tyreek Hill, and that's his famous celebration as he's running away from the fenders. And a little backstory to it, Tyreek Hill actually threw up the peace sign to uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. as he was breaking away for one of his touchdowns in the earlier matchup. Winfield gave it right back. What do you think of that? I love that. Anytime you kind of taunt an opponent in a specific way or you have some kind of signature celebration when your opponent like gets you or they beat you in some manner they're gonna throw that celebration back at you that's just gonna happen every time and I loved it I love I love throwing up the deuces against Tyreek Hill yeah I thought it was great and I know the popular opinions to say oh that was very unsportsmanlike and I'd like to give a shout out to the NFL for giving us a shout out so many times in that game but I know that's a popular opinion 
and a lot of people out there don't like it, but it's hard not to like. When you look at these athletes, they go to work every single day to become the best at their craft, and when someone beats you, all you can think about is getting back and beating that said person. And when you look at it, Tyreek Hill did it earlier in the season to him, and Tyreek Hill's been doing it for years to people. So the people that are angry at Winfield Jr. for doing it to Tyreek Hill, if you're not willing to get it, have it happen to you, you shouldn't be able to dish that out. You shouldn't be mad at Winfield Jr. because Tyreek Hill's been doing it for so long. So I don't really get that argument, but I loved it. I thought it was a perfect uh, ending to that game. A Buccaneers team that for the most part in the media, was pretty underrated in this matchup, I felt like. felt like a lot of people thought the Chiefs were going to outscore them. And I know a lot of people aren't going to bet against Tom Brady, but I did feel like there was a lot more saying the Chiefs would win. So it was just that emotion, winning his first Super Bowl. He's a rookie. I get it. And when you look at these two teams ending up in the Super Bowl, you look at Tampa Bay, how they did it. You look at Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs and how they did it in terms of building their roster. Does the Buccaneers winning this championship, and obviously the Chiefs being in two straight Super Bowls, change how other teams are going to build their rosters now? I think a little bit. Not as much as I would like as someone who really enjoys the older style of the game, running the ball, hard defense. I think it's it has been leaning towards the pass, and it's just going to keep going that way. But in that, it's part of leaning towards the pass is emphasizing the importance of offensive linemen who can be perform well in pass protection. I think you really... I've talked about that all day today, uh, how important pass protection is, and rosters are definitely going to be about all right, how can we construct this line for our quarterback to do the best they can? Yeah, you're exactly right. And I do think it's going to change how you build rosters. When you look at Tampa Bay style and what they did, they built this team up. They had everything in place, and then they brought in Tom Brady. The Chiefs did the same thing. They had a stacked roster and then brought in Patrick Mahomes. I think that's going to be something you see from now on. Teams aren't going to be as willing to, let's say, if you're a team like the Jets, go out and trade for a quarterback when you're not right, quite ready to compete yet. And I think that's going to be something that we see. And Tampa Bay, they also did it in a way that not many teams would. When you look at what they did to add to this team, once Brady got there, they go out and get Rob Gronkowski, an older veteran who was retired, obviously. But people thought of as washed a little bit. He was done in the league. Then you look at Leonard Fournette. They get a guy out of Jacksonville who has been a good pro, but Jacksonville moves on from him. He kind of has a bad rap, maybe not a team player. Buccaneers bring him in. They bet on their locker room succeeding around him. Then you look at Antonio Brown. Obviously, he's a little bit different of a situation, all that he had going on before he came to Tampa Bay. But they bring him in, they took a shot on him, and it paid dividends. He played a big part in that Super Bowl win and getting them to the Super Bowl. So when you look at that construction, I think teams are going to follow that. And then the Chiefs, when you look at the way they did it, they had Alex Smith there for years. And a lot of people knew Alex Smith wasn't going to be that long-term answer for that team. 
They were going to be good. They were going to compete, but they were never going to win a Super Bowl with Alex Smith. And that's not a shot at Alex Smith. Alex Smith's a fantastic quarterback, and I'm very happy that he won Comeback Player of the Year. He deserves it. But Patrick Mahomes, when they brought him in, they wanted a guy who could transform this offense and take them to the next level. Alex Smith was that guy that developed them and let the Chiefs develop that roster around them while still keeping the fans happy and being successful. So you have to like the way that they did that. And one thing that they always ask about the Super Bowl champions after you win, can you keep this roster intact moving forward? Do you think the Bucks can keep this roster together next season, or are we going to see some big names take off? I don't think we're going to see too many big names. I think the biggest is going to be Antonio Brown. We know he's kept his personality issues in check with Tampa Bay, which is really nice to see because he's a talented receiver. I'm not sure if he's going to take a pay cut to stay here. I think that's going to be the biggest move this offseason for them. There are a couple other players. Uh, There's been a kind of a leaked conversation about Mike Evans saying he's willing to take a pay cut, which you really love from one of your franchise leaders. And I love that just as a fan, taking winning and succeeding as a team over personal money. So I think overall the roster seems is going to seem pretty similar to this year. Yeah, I think obviously when you look at the free agents they have, there's some big name guys they could lose. You look at Shaq Barrett, Levante David, Rob Gronkowski, and Dominican Sue, Antonio Brown, like you said, AQ Shipley, the center, then the kicker Ryan Suckup. Those are big name guys that are going to be free agents for them. Shaq Barrett, I think he's my biggest question mark personally because he did make himself a lot of money with the NFC Championship game and then obviously the Super Bowl performance. I believe his last season he led the league in sacks and then he came back on the franchise tag. I believe he had three sacks in the Super Bowl and then came, I mean, in the NFC Championship game and then had two sacks or a sack and a half in the Super Bowl. He was impressive. If I'm the Buccaneers, he is a guy I have to re-sign. He's my highest priority. Keep him around. Keep that pass rush together. Then you look at Levante David, 31 years old, but still playing at his top, some top football. I think they find a way to keep him as well. Do you look at the cap space they have? They have $38 million to go spend with, and that's not official as obviously the cap has not been set yet due to COVID-19 and all its effects on the cap space. But I think it's a good start. That's enough money to get those two under contract. And then from there, you can look to start to restructure some deals, like you said with Mike Evans. They need to keep this team together because Tom Brady, he has, I mean, we talk about it almost every season. How much time does Tom Brady have left? He has at least a season left, that's for sure. There's no reason not to try to re-sign all these guys, backload their contracts, get them back in place so you can go win another Super Bowl while you still have Tom Brady. Because who knows what you do at the quarterback position after Brady moves on. And now, our last topic here before we take our first break, and our last topic here with the Super Bowl. The Seattle Seahawks had the beginnings of a dynasty with that defense, the Legion of Boom. They go to a Super Bowl, and they blow out the Denver Broncos. They come right back to the Super Bowl, and who awaits them? Tom Brady, the New England Patriots. He goes on to beat them in that Super Bowl, and the Seahawks were never the same team again. 
Still a good team, but never a Super Bowl caliber team. Again, now we look at what the Chiefs story. They win a Super Bowl, come right back, the hottest team in football, and then they lose to Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Do you see the same type of finish for the Chiefs? Are they always going to be from now on a team that can't win the big one, but they can always be competitive? Or is this a team that's going to win a Super Bowl again in the next 10 years? I think they'll probably win a Super Bowl in the next 10 years. Obviously, anything can happen with football and sports in general, but there's still a great team with Patrick Mahomes, one of the best quarterbacks, and that offensive nucleus under contract for a couple years. They're going to be perennial postseason contenders, and they're going to make deep postseason runs. Can they win the Super Bowl again? I think a decent amount of that is luck, and what happens on you know any given Sunday can change a lot, but they're going to be back in the playoffs and possibly in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I don't foresee the same situation with Seattle. When you look at where Russell Wilson was at that point, where Patrick Mahomes is now, I think there's a clear upgrade there with Mahomes. Russell Wilson developed and got better, better over that window. Mahomes is already a top QB in the game and if not the best QB in the game. So I expect them to be competitive, but that contract does scare me. Seeing this Super Bowl, seeing some missing pieces from this Chiefs team, and they were not the same team whatsoever. Patrick Mahomes was almost like Superman, and he had no help. I'm afraid that that could be what the Chiefs end up looking like once Mahomes' deal kicks in, which is next year. You look at guys like Kelsey, Chris Jones, and Tyreek Hill. They're all under contract. But you got you have guys like Mitchell Schwartz, then also Eric Fisher at the tackle positions. And I believe Short Schwartz still has a couple years left, but those are guys that are going to have to get paid again at some point. And as you start to lose some of those key pieces, like the Seahawks did when they had to lose their defense because they all were in line to get paid, they slowly digress. I don't think the Chiefs fall into that same rabbit hole, but I think it's going to be interesting to watch what the Chiefs are moving forward. And there is no reason that they're not right back in the Super Bowl next year because they are the strongest team in the AFC. But it's a headline to watch. We're going to take our first break here on the Sportsman Like Conduct. When we come back, we're going to get into some quarterback drama. Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and then we're going to go through the quarterback carousel. We're going to go through 16 NFL teams that have been rumored to have a new quarterback coming next year, and we're going to tell you who might be in that position for them. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Unsportsmanlike Conduct. I'm Logan Howell. With me is David Meyer. And now we just got out of the Super Bowl here. We're going to move into the quarterback drama that we're seeing in the NFL. So many faces could be in new places. And we're going to start with one of the MVP, the hottest name out there. It's Aaron Rodgers. There's a little drama going on. After the loss in the NFC Championship game, Aaron Rodgers alluded to the idea that his future was not settled in Green Bay. And after the Jordan Love draft pick of last season, a lot of people thought maybe that would be the case. But not after an MVP season. Were his comments a signal that he wants out of Green Bay? I don't think so overall. He's Aaron Rodgers is kind of an enigma. He's he's kind of a weird guy. If there are some like personal stories where he's really into conspiracy theories and kind of odd ways of thinking. So I think this is him just kind of kind of poking fun at the media saying like, oh, who knows, maybe I will, maybe I won't. 
overall, I think he's going to stay as a Packer. Yeah, when you look at this, what it means to me, his comments, to me, were a shot at the front office. It's like, hey, maybe we get me some help, huh? Maybe we don't spend our first, our first, second, and third round picks in the draft on backups and or yeah, backups and or a quarterback who's supposed to replace me in the first round, especially. And when you trade up for said quarterback, so I think it's a shot at that front office saying that he needs more. How much more? I don't know. I don't really know what that would take, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. But his comments to me, I don't, I wouldn't take them to heart. I think it's just more of a. He was in the moment. He was upset. He wanted to win. A lot of people compare him and Brady. And Brady coming to the NFC and immediately dethroning him and taking the Super Bowl. I think it was a shot at the confidence and the pride of Aaron Rodgers. He's kind of ran the NFC, not in terms of winning Super Bowls, but in terms of this last decade. He he and the Packers have always been around come playoff time. And I think that's all that was. But if you're the Green Bay Packers, and let's say Aaron Rodgers does say, hey, I want out, are you going to let him go after the MVP season? I don't think so. You you can't just straight up cut him. It's too much money. And I don't think many teams are going to be willing to trade for him with just how much cap space he takes up, as well as it's going to be a massive haul of draft picks in return for Aaron Rodgers at at least three first, if not four, first-round draft picks. And that's for someone who's in his mid-30s. He's still very talented, but I'm not sure. When you reach that age as a quarterback, it's very a steep decline as possible. So I wouldn't be willing to risk it there. But overall, I think he's going to stay with the Packers. Yeah, and I don't... I don't think there's a chance the Packers let him out the building. And LaFleur and the general manager have both made that very well known. The guy was the MVP last year. How do you get rid of him? At least just make him happy and want him to stick around. This isn't a Deshaun Watson situation where it's, I want out. Nothing that's going to change that. He feels disrespected. He just wants, I guess, more players. But if you're the Packers... No way you let him go. And when you talk about teams that want him in terms of compensation, when you look at the Watson compensation, equate that to what it would take to Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers, when you look at it, is more injury prone. He's been injured a lot more. Like you said, he's older. There's a lot there to not like. And I also think it could be with these comments, because right after he had the comments, he wanted a contract extension. He wanted a little more money. Maybe that's him just use, playing his cards right, knowing that, okay, if I kind of signal I may want out just to get that new contract, get the more money, I think that could be a way he goes with it. And if you're the Packers, okay, I'm keeping Aaron Rodgers, not letting him go. What do you do to keep him happy? What else do you need? I think there are, you know, maybe a little help on the line, maybe some uh, receiver depth, but... Really, I think that's just a false narrative that he doesn't have help around him. He was the least pressured quarterback in 2020. He has possibly the best receiver he's ever had in Devontae Adams. Aaron Jones and that offensive line is a top 10 running unit. And he also has a top 10 defense. What 
What more do you want? There isn't much more I can give you. Maybe, again, some help on defense. But really, the loss in the championship game wasn't... It, it was kind of on him. And the offense just couldn't get going. Adding some new players, shaking that up is probably what they need to do. But it, it's just he's not, he's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, and when I normally say, okay, I agree with that, I've never agreed with anything more. When you look at the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, every week it seems like they're finding something for Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't have the weapons. He's never had the weapons. And then you look at all that he does have, yes, you can complain about the way they use the draft picks. That's acceptable. But when you're a team that really has no holes, I mean, obviously, as a linebacker, they can use a little bit, some upgrades there. But like you said, a top 10 defense with one of the best pass rushers in the NFL was Darius Smith, one of the best corners in the game with Jair Alexander. And then you look to the offensive side of the ball, Aaron Jones, Bob Tunyon, a 10-touchdown tight end, and Devontae Adams, in my opinion, is the best receiver in the NFL. And talk about the offensive line. There's so much there. I don't know what else you'd have to need to make him happy because at this point, it's just depth and role players. All is all you could add to this team to improve it. And the point you made about the NFC Championship game is huge. A lot of people say, okay, well, Aaron Rodgers outplayed Tom Brady. It doesn't matter. It does because where Tom Brady threw the picks, he had the lead in that situation, and Aaron Rodgers was taking sacks in that situation and punting the ball away. When you look at it, yes, the picks go down Tom Brady's stats, but it goes back to my point I made earlier. He doesn't care about his statistics. He knows what it takes to win games. And when he was just giving his receivers chances down the field that turned into interceptions, it is a 50-50 chance that turned into a punt in turn there. So I think personally, I don't know what more Aaron Rodgers would want. When you look at what he's had for most of his career, when you talk early on in his career when he won the Super Bowl, he had Greg Jennings, Donald Driver, Jordy Nelson, James Jones, Jermichael Finley. And then you look at as they move forward, Jordy Nelson always around until Devontae Adams takes over for this team. Randall Cobb comes in. James Jones is always around. Greg Jennings stayed a couple years after the Super Bowl. He's always had one of the best receiving cores in the league at his disposal. And that's just one of the arguments I just don't understand, I guess, is his weapons. And I thought you made a great point on that. And we both said he's not leaving. But hypothetical here, let's say they do let him go. What team would be a team that Rodgers would want to go to and the Packers would send him to? I I want to say the Bears just <laughs> because that would like it would instantly make the Bears Super Bowl com- contenders and it would also just be funny <laughs> um but realistically i think it's if he does go anywhere it would be the colts very good defense they have weapons on offense and a very good offensive line and they're just missing that qb that's all they need and they're there they lost philip rivers and i don't think he was quite the solution there in indianapolis but you add Aaron Rodgers to that roster, you're in the Super Bowl almost every time. Yeah, I think the Colts would be a great landing spot for him, and they are the type of team that would go all in for Aaron Rodgers. They would give up all those picks because they know that team's ready to succeed right now. And when I look at it, where he could end up, 
I just really can't find a spot that makes too much sense. I mean, I like the Colts spot, but at the same time, it's downgrading at wide receiver. Defensively, it's far better. Now, I wouldn't say far better, but better. But downgrading on the weapons, the offensive line, I'd say it's probably about equal, if not a little less. And so if you're Aaron Rodgers, yes, the Colts make sense, but you're going to downgrade all those positions that you want to improve. I don't think there's a team that can offer him as much as Green Bay does right now. I really don't think he's going to find that anywhere. And when I look at some spots just off of pure um, speculation and fun spots to see him, one would be the Patriots. I think that would be fun because Aaron Rodgers has always been the type of guy that he likes revenge. He likes to spite people. How do you do that? You go to Tom Brady, you win a Super Bowl for Bill, uh, go to Bill Belichick and win a Super Bowl. Tom Brady left New England because of the, obviously you have to figure out who's good. Is it Belichick or Brady? But Rodgers goes there and wins a Super Bowl for Belichick. That would be a power move for Aaron Rodgers. And then you look at the 49ers possibly. I, the Niners wouldn't give up picks for him, but that's his hometown team. That's the team he grew up wanting to play for. I don't think the Niners would make a move for him, but that would be a team that he would possibly like to go to because of that connection. But then when you even look at the 49ers as a landing spot for them, receiving-wise, you're going to take a step back. Going to this team offensive line-wise, you're taking a step back. The defense, healthy, you could say is an improvement. But at what point, what makes Aaron Rodgers happy, I think, is the biggest thing in this whole argument because there's no other team that offers him that much as Green Bay does. And now... We look at Russell Wilson. He's another guy that, you look at both these guys, never would think that they would be in trade speculation. And here they are. Russell Wilson, earlier this week, alluded to the idea that his offensive line was getting him hit. And it was a report that came out. And people have said that's his way of letting it be known. But there was a report came out that he was frustrated with how much he was getting hit. When you look at his sack numbers over the last few years, they are up there in the top of the league. He is a guy that's running around quite a bit. And today, a report came out. The quote from him was that he's just frustrated and he would like more say in Seattle's personnel decisions. Russell Wilson, the Seattle Seahawks, seemed like a marriage that would last until Wilson is done. His comments that he's making, what do you think of those? I think it's just frustration of having a very good offense and feeling like you're one of the better players in the league, which I think he is, and not producing results in the playoffs. And yeah, he was getting hit all day, every day. And we talk, I've talked about it a lot. You need time for your quarterback to set and throw and... I'd I'd have to look at it specifically, but Russell Wilson was just had no offensive line. That offensive line was an absolute sieve, sieve, whatever you want to pronounce it as. They let guys through every single play, and Wilson was getting hit all the time, and that's frustrating for like the team and winning, but also for Russell Wilson as getting hit because. You know, I haven't played all that much football, but that hurts. That hurts. Yeah, it's not enjoyable at all. And are his comments, what do those signal? To me, it's a quarterback showing how much leverage he has in the situation. Isn't that been the theme of this offseason? 
quarterbacks showing the leverage they have over these teams. And that's why we're doing a quarterback carousel here in a few minutes because of that fact. You look at Deshaun Watson. He's using his leverage and forcing his way out of Houston. Aaron Rodgers using his comments as a way to help improve his roster around him. Russell Wilson's the exact same way. And when you look at it, Russell Wilson, after he got paid, they had to say goodbye to some of those stars that once helped him get to the Super Bowl and win it. That defense, they had the Legion of Boom, one of the best defenses of all time, and they slowly got walked right out the door, but they kept Russell Wilson the whole entire time. And that's my biggest issue. I'm 100% for players going and getting their money when they can. I'm, a huge, I'm the biggest fan of it. But when you look at it, that quarterback, when they get that type of money, they have to be able to carry the roster, and they have to hide the holes around that team that you are now getting the money that normally went there. With Russell Wilson here, I think this is more of let's relocate where we're using this money. They pay for wide receivers, and obviously Metcalf's on the rookie deal, but they do pay Tyler Lockett a good chunk. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they're paying, they're going to have to pay Jamal Adams a very hefty chunk. I, I think he could get a contract up close to $20 million. And I know that's far and away from the, last, the highest paid safety in the league, but Jamal Adams has all the leverage. The Seahawks trade two first-round picks to go get him. He can say, hey, this is what I want. If you're not willing to sign it, you just wasted two first-round picks and I'm going to go out in free agency. And Seahawks don't have much leverage there. So I think it's Russell Wilson saying, hey, you, you guys have brought in the receivers, but I have ideas that can help fix this team. And now let's say, say things do go in, in the worst direction for Seattle. Would, you, would the Seahawks ever let him go? No. He's your franchise player. He's the face of the franchise and it's it's pretty similar to Aaron Rodgers in it's also similar to Le'Veon Bell and how that played out. You're not going to trade him if you don't have to. And the worst case scenario is he sits out the season. That's the absolute worst case scenario. And I think at that point you do trade him. But it it's going to have to be for a lot. You're not going to cut one of the best quarterbacks in the game right now yeah and this one was interesting for me because I do have a different stance than I did with Aaron Rodgers would they want to let him go no obviously not but the Seahawks organization in general with John Schneider up top and then you look at uh, Pete Carroll I do believe that if he was to want to leave I think they'd consider it moving on from him and taking in all that draft capital I know that sounds crazy to say but the Seahawks organization, time and time again, has done that. When you look at what they did to that defense, I mean, you could have kept that whole secondary together and the pass rush unit together while still paying Russell Wilson if you really used your money correctly. And they didn't do it. When you look at Richard Sherman, he had a video where he detailed his free agency, what went down there. He talked about how Seattle said, hey, if any team offers you a contract, come back and give us a chance to match it. He gets an offer from the 49ers, from the Lions, and from the Raiders. And the 49ers obviously was the highest. And instead of matching that contract, with the, which they could have afforded, and it was very incentive-based. He didn't even hit most of his incentives. So he really was getting about $6-7 million a year, other than the year the 49ers went to the Super Bowl. They said no. 
They were going to pay Richard Sherman six to seven mil in base salary and incentives up to 13 million. They said no to the greatest corner to ever play for their organization. If And for me, I could see them doing that to Russell Wilson if things go south. I could see them being like, okay, you can move on. We'll rebuild this team, and we won't pay the quarterback position. And I think it's something that they would do should they know, not even a little bit. But just the way that organization works, I could see it. And let's say things do go bad. You're Russell Wilson. What's some teams you might end up with? I think it's the situation's pretty similar to Aaron Rodgers, but you're a little bit younger, so you have some more flexibility there. I think the Colts are somewhere where you could go because that's an immediate impact. Yeah, the Colts, uh, possibly the 49ers as just like a real like kind of throwback throwback's the wrong word but like revenge revenge yeah kind of a snipe against the Seahawks I think that could be really interesting yeah and when you look at Russell Wilson where he could go line up most of the teams in the NFL all the 16 teams we're about to talk about plus three or four more at minimum, at least 20 to 22 teams would be interested in adding Russell Wilson. And that's even top 10 guys that you, they'd be willing to get rid of if they could bring in Russell Wilson. And for me, a spot that was rumored a few years ago and still makes sense to me is the New York Giants. And I know if you're Russell Wilson, why would you want to go to the Giants? The Giants defense is okay. It's developing. It's getting better. Leonard Williams is going to be a free agent. They're going to have to find a way to keep him around. And then the offense, you have Saquon Barkley, Sterling Shepard. It would be a lot more appealing had you not traded Odell Beckham Jr. And that trio of Odell, Russell Wilson, and Saquon Barkley would be very scary. You could continue to work on your offensive line. But for me, it's Russell Wilson and Sierra. I think it really is, where do we want to go? Because that's how Russell Wilson is. He's a good guy. He's not going to move his family into a situation that they don't want to be in. It's a where would we want to go, and obviously she has ties to the New York area. So I think that landing spot for him would be big because right now I think Russell Wilson thinks I'm playing without much help. I mean, yes, he has elite receivers with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, one of the best duos in the league, but at the same time, he doesn't have that really good offensive line to help him out. He doesn't have the really good defense to help him out. Russell, take Russell Wilson off the Seahawks, and they are a three to four win roster. And I truly believe that. You look at the offensive play calling, it's been poor. And then when you look at the front office, not been great. The, their first round picks and their picks that they've had the last few years, not many have stuck. So when you look at the situation, how much worse are the Giants than the Seahawks when Russell Wilson isn't on the Seahawks? I don't think it's all that massive. I really don't. And now before we take our next break here on Sports Mind Conduct, we're going to go ahead and get in to our quarterback carousel here. We're going to start with the first team here, the Chicago Bears. Obviously made the playoffs this year, but to me it seems like there is a divorce coming between Mitch Trubisky and Matt Nagy. And that's an option that he does come back. Where do you think the Bears go as our first team on the carousel? They're... 
for sure, I don't think they're bringing Mitch Trubisky back unless it's on a ridiculously cheap contract, like one year, one million, just prove it that you can be here and try and like earn your spot. If they don't get Deshaun Watson, I'm I'm gonna put that aside. Some five D chess here, Jameis Winston. A big arm. He's gonna take risks, a lot of risks, but he has the mobility that the Bears need with the struggles on the offensive line, and he has the arm strength and somewhat accuracy to make throws downfield, which is what the Bears have been lacking. And I think he's a little bit like Jay Cutler, who's the best quarterback in Bears history, which is kind of sad. It's, I, He's just going to be more fun to watch overall. I don't care if he's throwing 30 interceptions, if he's also throwing 30 touchdowns. That's what matters to me. So I think Jameis Winston could go to the Bears. Yeah, Jameis Winston's a fun name to toss around there because he does have the talent. He proved that at Florida State. I like that pairing there. I think that could really be one that works out. And for me, I'm a big believer in the rumors where there's smoke, there's fire. So I went with the Carson Wentz option in this one. And with Carson Wentz, when you bring him in, he's a guy that struggled the last couple years with the Eagles. How much of that do you blame on Doug Pearson? How much do you blame on Carson Wentz? I don't know. But if you can find a way to get him back to where he was before this season, you're going to get a successful guy. Obviously, injuries in there. But I have them trading for Carson Wentz here. And I think they can get him for, I believe they could get him for a second-round pick in Nick Foles this year. I know that may seem like, okay, the Eagles, they've already said they want the Matthew Stafford deal. They want the 2-1. They're not going to get 2-1s for Carson Wentz especially because they're going to eat most of the salary cap. The Eagles are. If you convince a team to take on that salary cap, keep on dropping that pick that you're giving up for them. That's the way it's going to go. And I think when you are the Bears, they're kind of in a no-man's land, in my opinion. With their pick, they're, I believe, 19? 19, 19 or, or 20. 20. Yeah. They're sitting there. Do you trade up for a quarterback? You could, but it's going to take a lot to get up there and get them. And then you look at free agency-wise – is Dak going to hit the market? I don't think so. And then you look at who else out there, Cam Newton, Jameis Winston, both, I think, options that they could bring in. But for me, that second-round pick and fools for Carson Wentz, I think that move helps the Bears because they're in a position to win now. And I think Wentz can flourish in a new change of scenery. And the pass game coordinator the Bears just brought in is John Filippo, who has a lot of experience with Carson Wentz. We're going to take our next break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to continue the carousel. We have 15 more teams we're going to get through. Stay tuned. Welcome back into Unsportsmanlike Conduct. I'm Logan Howell. With me is David Meyer, and we're going to continue the carousel here. Now we move on to the Carolina Panthers. Who do you think suiting up a quarterback for them next season? I went with Jacoby Brissett. I think he's just a fun, like, he has experience, but he's also young at the same time. It's that weird combo. I think he could add a decent amount to that Panthers offense. Is it the absolute best option you have? No. But 
the Panthers aren't the best team right now. I don't they don't have a lot of room to grow on that roster from what I've seen. So getting Brissett as kind of a stopgap to hopefully run that offense is an appealing move because you can get him for cheap. Yeah, I like the stopgap option for them because they are a team that still needs to continue building, and it's that building the team approach that we talked about with Tampa Bay and Kansas City. I like the stopgap option. I'm going to go with Matt Rule going and getting his guy, the guy he wants to run uh, the offense for him, and I'm going with Dak Prescott. I have a trade here. I have the Dallas Cowboys tagging Dak Prescott and then trading him to the Panthers for a first-rounder this year and a first-rounder next year. And this now allows the Dallas to have the eighth overall pick and then obviously their pick in 14, 15, somewhere in there, wherever they do pick. When you look at it, Dak Prescott coming into this team I think would be huge because you do have Christian McCaffrey, you do have DJ Moore, and if you do re-sign Curtis Samuel, there's some weapons there, Robbie Anderson, so your offense can succeed, and I like the Joe Brady, Dak Prescott pairing. I really do like that. The defense has holes, but they're young, and I think they can get better. Now, you are losing your first-round pick this year and next year, but this Panthers team, with Dak Prescott, you're going to extend them to a big old deal. You have the cap for it. So I think they make that happen, and it brings up the interesting question, what they do with Teddy Bridgewater. I don't think Teddy Bridgewater's in their future plans. I think they're going to move on from him. And why not bring in Dak Prescott? Next team we have up is the Dallas Cowboys. Who do you have at quarterback for the Cowboys? I have them keeping Dak Prescott. I think he's, you know, they might franchise tag him again. They're not going to be paying him any more than they did. Well, a little bit more than they did last year, maybe. But he's been a Cowboy for a long time. I don't think Jerry Jones is going to put a big contract to him after an injury and but they want him back and Jerry Jones has repeatedly said they want to bring him back I don't know if it's going to be a long-term deal or just another one year but for sure not for sure but I think he's going back to the Cowboys yeah and going back to the Cowboys I think is obviously option one for both sides But for me, the unwillingness of Jerry Jones to pay him already and to continually tag him, and now he has been injured, and that was a gruesome ankle injury he did have, I don't know if Jerry Jones is willing to bet on him coming back and being himself anymore. And if you're going to pay him $37 million on the tag, you're going to need a lot of success out of Dak because that is a big cap hit. Comparative to the franchise tag last year, it's not that big. But when you're paying a quarterback that much, you have to have him being very successful. I think that Jerry Jones trades Dak to Carolina for the two ones. Then with the eighth overall pick, and well, they do have ammunition now. They're at eight, and I actually believe it's ten that they have in the draft. They can trade up and get a quarterback. Let's say they want to move up and get a Zach Wilson at two or move up to three and grab the guy that they want. I actually have them at the eighth overall pick selecting Justin Fields from Ohio State. I have Fields slipping just a little bit. Most people have him in that top five. I think he slips just a little bit because once you get past the Jets, and if the Jets decide to go quarterback, I think it could be Wilson or Fields. But once you slip past the Jets, there's a gap there where I don't think quarterbacks go. And now 
I think the Cowboys step up and take fields. You get the rookie contract. You're not paying your quarterback very much. You don't have to worry about paying him for five more years now, which Jerry Jones somewhere is very excited about that. And Justin Fields is an extremely good quarterback. A lot of people questioned him this year with everything that was going on with COVID. In that national championship game, he went out there and was throwing 60 to 50-yard bombs like they were nothing. Just a flick of the wrist. He was letting it rip against that Clemson defense. And then in the championship game, he did just as well. I mean, obviously, stats-wise, it's not going to show that. But he performed well against that Alabama team that I think everyone knew Alabama was going to win it all this year. They were dominating. So I like the Fields-Cowboys matchup. And if you're a Cowboys fan, you're going to lose Dak Prescott. How are you going to sell me on someone new? How about a top 10 quarterback? I think that guy can come in and be the leader of the Cowboys. And now we move to the Minnesota Vikings. And this is a team that obviously has Kirk Cousins. You think there's any change there for them? I think they might want change, but I don't think that's going to happen. Just the roster they have now and the lack of success coupled with uh, Kirk Cousins' $45 million cap hit is just too much to get rid of. That's either too much dead cap or too much to trade for anything of value. So I think Kirk Cousins is staying put for now. Yeah, when I look at Cousins, I have him staying here too. And I agree 100%. They could want out of it. It reminds me a lot of Jared Goff this last offseason. They could want to move on from him, but they couldn't do it until the following offseason where they felt like they absolutely had to. I think that's where the Vikings are right now. Their cap space already is not good. Not a position that you want to be in. So just for that fact, I think they have to keep him. And what teams would come wanting Kirk Cousins? I think he's a little underrated. I think a lot of people dog on Kirk Cousins. He did have, I believe it was 30-plus touchdowns this year. And his interception rate wasn't that bad. He did pretty well for the Vikings. He got really good over his last seven games where he was 23 touchdowns and I believe two picks. He was phenomenal over the last stretch of games. Now, is that enough to keep him around? I don't know. I you got to see the playoff success from him. I think the Vikings are a team that should be in the playoffs every year. And if you're not making it, the quarterback's always the first one to blame. So if we do the carousel next year, watch the Vikings for next season. And now we have the Philadelphia Eagles. Where Who are they suiting up a quarterback this year? This, this one's a little bit out there. Um... Andy Dalton, I think they're in a period of transition that they're not going to have all that much success here, even with how weak the NFC East is. Something about the culture they have on that team seems like they're not going to be able to bring in all that much talent in the offseason. So I think Andy Dalton is going to start here. Does it make a lot of sense? No, but I can say that Andy Dalton's going to the Eagles. Yeah, when you look at it, I think Wentz is gone. I think they move him somewhere, and there's been a lot of rumors around it. I think it happens. I had him going to Chicago for Nick Foles and a pick, and now I have Nick Foles in this rotation here. I think they start Jalen Hurts next season. I think that uh, Sirani can get behind starting him. And then Nick Foles is the backup. And I think the perception of Nick Foles is going to change in Philadelphia. Not that I think he's going to be a better player. 
I think it's just going to be easier for Eagles fans to be sold on the fact that Nick Foles is coming back. He has a statue outside that stadium. Those fans are going to be excited he's coming back. I don't think he's successful in Philadelphia, but those fans are going to enjoy it. They're going to enjoy Nick Foles getting traded back there. So now you have the fans excited. I think they stick with Hurts and have Foles be that backup to him. I think they could be a good duo, maybe Foles helping him out a little bit. But I, I don't think Foles will ever start unless Hurts has an injury. And now we move on to another NFC team just in the Super Bowl a year ago. And the 49ers are on the quarterback carousel once again. Who would you have going out there for the Niners QB next year? This one's tough because of how messy the uh, the 49ers season was this year. Realistically, I think they're Jimmy G is coming back, but because it's the carousel, I'm going to go a little wild. I have them trading Jimmy G and bringing and well they re-signed him Josh Rosen. I think they saw something in camp that they liked and Kyle Shanahan he's he's unlocked Josh Rosen and Rosen's going to have a a good year with the 49ers. And Josh Rosen's been a guy that he was a 10th overall pick. He's been questioned and he's never really got a chance to start. His one year in Arizona, they were a bad football team. Bad. And they won, I believe it was three games. Kyler Murray, his rookie year, didn't do all that great. And well, he did statistically, but record wise, didn't do all that great. And this last season, I believe they only won six or seven games and they had one of the best offenses, like player wise, in the league. So he's never really gotten opportunities, bounced around. I think, obviously, the Niners bring him back is because Kyle is interested in what he has there. He wants to figure out what he has. I do agree. I think, realistically, what happens is the 49ers keep Jimmy Garoppolo and they draft a QB that they want, whether it be Mac Jones in the back half of the first round or they move up for a guy like a Zach Wilson or they sit put and take, like, Trey Lance. I think they have options, and I think that's the most plausible route. But for me... I have Kyle Shanahan talking to his old buddy over with the Jets, talking to Rob Sala. They're moving on from Sam Sam Darnold because later in my carousel, they make a big splash at QB. So they move on from Sam Darnold, trade him to San Francisco, and San Fran gives up a second-round pick next season for Sam Darnold. Oh, excuse me, a third-round pick this year and a fifth-round pick this season. Excuse me. When you look at this team, Is Sam Darnold an upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo? I think he has the potential to be, but I don't think necessarily stepping in day one he is. But Kyle Shanahan's always been the type of guy that he'd be very much happy with a quarterback who can read the field and goes out there and makes the throws Kyle wants. Kyle has people running wide open within his offense almost every game, and it's been a struggle for him watching C.J. Beathard, watching Nick Mullins just consistently miss those wide-open targets. So I think he goes out and gets Darnold. He's talked very highly of Darnold, especially if you look at his comments he had before their matchup earlier this year in Week 3. He spoke very very highly of Sam Darnold. And when you look at it, if Robert Sala is going to move Sam Darnold, who do you think would get first dibs? Obviously, you have to give a good offer. You're not just going to get him for nothing. But who's going to get that first chance to match any offers? It's going to be Kyle Shanahan, the guy who gave him a shot. So I think they roll with Sam Darnold. And also, when you look at the cap hit, it's only $2.6 million next season for Sam Darnold. 
And so if you get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo, you trade him, you free up $26 million, and you take a dead cap hit of 2.6, and then you bring in Darnold for another 2.6. So your quarterback room right now, the way it's set, you're paying $4.6 million for Darnold and the dead cap from Jimmy G, and then paying $750,000 for Josh Rosen. Very cheap quarterback room, allows them to re-sign all the guys they need. I think that'd be a matchup that Kyle would like. Trying to sell that to the fans? It's going to be a different question, but I could definitely see Kyle making a move like that. And now we have the Washington football team. What did they do with this pick? Well, you you stole my idea. <laughs> Sam Darnold. I, they have a, a really good young defense, and they have talent on that offense, and I think they have – they don't fully have their quarterback decided – I don't think Kyle Allen is the answer there. Alex Smith is just kind of an interim quarterback there. And I think they're going to take a chance on Sam Darnold. He he might have just been broken by Adam Gase. That's possible. It, everyone knows my absolute hatred for Adam Gase. But I think it he's worth taking a chance on, Sam Darnold is, because... He's going to be relatively cheap uh, to trade for, and there's not all that much risk there. Will he succeed? I don't know, but I think he'd he'd do well with Ron Rivera on the Washington football team. Yeah, that's a great point you made about uh, Sam Darnold. He was extremely talented coming out of USC, highly recruited in the NFL. I thought he was going to be the number one pick that year. Obviously, it was Baker, but I thought it was going to be him. And then when you look at what he's done in the league, he's done. He did well under Todd Bowles. Then had him at seven and nine, and he even did. He had the uh, mono for a little bit, and he was out. And this last year, he shows glimpses of something that you could really like there. So I think Washington would be a good fit for him too. And they're also, like I talked about the Bears, in a team that's kind of in no man's land. What do you do at the quarterback spot? Well, now that the San Francisco 49ers have answered their quarterback. Um, carousel questions for this season I have Washington moving up from 19 or 20 up to 12 overall trading with the San Francisco 49ers so the Niners move back and recoup some picks that they lost and when you look at trading up for quarterbacks everyone's going to want to do it when you look at a team like the Bears if they want a quarterback and someone slides for me I have Trey Lance sitting there at 12 if the Bears are a team, the Colts are a team, Washington, all teams that could be competing to move up and get a Trey Lance. I think that they make that trade. They give up a first-rounder this year, so they would move, move up about eight spots, eight, seven spots. Then they give up their first next year, move up to 12, take Trey Lance. And Trey Lance, for me, is a prospect that's fantastic. He has a lot of upside but he's also very raw. You're going to have to develop him. And in order to develop him, Ron Rivera calls in an old friend to come take over at the quarterback position. It's Cam Newton. I got Cam Newton coming in, starting right away, letting Trey Lance develop, and Washington continues to build this roster. So once Trey Lance comes in, he can be immediately successful. And if you're Washington, you have to hit on this first-round pick. If you go quarterback, you have to hit on it. You cannot have another Dwayne Haskins. I know Haskins was good value at the time, but you have to be able to hit on this pick, and I think they do. I think Lance has a lot of upside, and he has a cannon for an arm. 
Sometimes I question his decision-making abilities and how fast he processes a defense. But I think when you see what Washington's gone through a quarterback, they can make him successful. Let him sit behind Cam Newton. That's another thing about Lance, his athleticism. He's a fantastic runner. Cam Newton's been one of the best running quarterbacks in this league since he's came in. So I like that spot there for him. And now we go to the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're a team that's kind of strapped with the cap. And obviously the question marks were on Big Ben. What do they do at QB? I have them... It's it's kind of going with a new quarterback, but kind of changing. I have Dwayne Haskins here. He's technically on their roster, but there's not a lot of fanfare around him after he left the Washington football team. I think Big Ben is just not physically able to play at a level that's NFL-worthy, and Dwayne Haskins is kind of the next man up. It it could be Mason Rudolph, but I think it's Dwayne Haskins here. He doesn't have all that much athleticism, which is okay because Ben Roethlisberger didn't either. He's He has the ability to throw the ball deep, and I think Mike Tomlin's going to take a chance here on Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, I like that Dwayne Haskins pick there because he is a guy that he needed to change the scenery bad. And I feel like we say that about a lot of quarterbacks, but he really did. The relationship between Washington and him was very sour, almost from the get-go. So a new situation for him I think is huge. And he also he brings the ability to the Steelers where he can push the ball downfield. That's where Big Ben's lacking right now. He can't push the ball downfield with any sort of velocity. So I think that would be great for them. I have them sticking it with Big Ben to start the year, but they draft his eventual replacement. Just in case Dwayne Haskins doesn't work out, they took a low-risk signing there. I liked that, by the way, that move that they made there. I have him drafting Kyle Trask from the Florida Gators with their first-round pick. And Trask is a guy, personally, I'm not that high on. I don't. I think when you look at what he had at Florida, he had some nice weapons, Tony and then also Kyle Pitts. Both going to be first-round weapons that get drafted. And Kyle Trask, for me, he doesn't have the velocity to hit the sidelines outside the numbers. That's where he's going to struggle. But he just fits the mold of the Pittsburgh Steelers. When you look at Big Ben, kind of a thicker quarterback, not a guy who's going to run around and make all these plays, but just athletic enough to be mobile within the pocket. It's like Tom Brady almost, except... Tom Brady's a little bit more mobile than Big Ben, but Big Ben can maneuver the pocket and hit his open targets. That's what Kyle Trask does well. He maneuvers the pocket. He has great pocket awareness, but he's not going to, if it was third and 10, he's not going to take off and go pick up that 10 yards. That's just what it is. Kyle Trask, he has some questions with his arm, but I think he's more one of the pro-ready type of guys. Coming from Florida, I think he can step in and start right away. I don't think he does. But he could. He has that possibility. And like I said, I'm not a huge fan of him at all. But he feel, I feel like Pittsburgh makes sense for him. And now we have the New York Jets. New coach, new OC. There's a new hope to this team. Who do they put out there as the quarterback week one? I think kind of like I said with the Panthers, they're not ready to contend yet. 
So it's it's one of two players for me. It's either Cam Newton, which it hurts that Cam Newton is kind of a stopgap quarterback at this point because he's he's just so fun to watch and he's very athletic but the arm strength just it isn't there anymore after injuries and that's that's really sad the other option is Ryan Fitzpatrick who's been around everywhere so yeah, he's al- he's already been on the Jets. He has. Yep. I I forgot about that. So it's one of those two as a stopgap as they either draft a quarterback this year or wait till next year. Yeah, for me, I don't think they're ready to go get that QB yet, but I have them doing it. Going in and getting that quarterback and obviously I think they'd like to build their defense more, get some more weapons, but I have them making the big trade mostly because they're in- they would be interested and because it's the best return for Houston. I have them going and getting Watson. And I have this trade going down because if you are Houston, you're going to make a trade. You look at some teams that are interested. You look at the Bears. You look at the 49ers. You look at the Dolphins. Those are just a couple of the teams interested. Denver, maybe. Carolina. Which one of those teams is probably going to have the worst record moving forward? Well, I didn't include the Jets, I guess. The Jets. They're going to have... You know they're not going to be picking in the 20s you put Watson on a team with a good defense and some weapons you're gonna be picking 27 26 every single year with those picks so I think that the Texans they'll they're willing to make this deal because in return they get three ones including the second overall pick that now allows them to grab that quarterback of the future that they want rebuild all their draft capital and even if they don't want to go QB there they can slide back, continue to add first-round picks, and they can really build some. I have three ones and three twos going for them. And I have the picks going instead of a player because I don't know, other than Quinn and Williams and then obviously Marcus May, Brian Poole are both free agents, who the who would they give defensively other than one of those three? I just don't see anybody, so I have a lot more picks going. And if you're Houston, you're getting – low-end first-round picks, basically, with those twos you're getting, and you're getting very high first-round picks. I think that makes sense if you're Houston, and if you're going to get rid of them, why not get the best return? And I think that's what the Jets give. And our last team we'll do here before we take our last break on Sportsman Conduct is the Patriots. The Patriots have to be a little upset. Just watch Tom Brady win a Super Bowl, and now they're trying to figure out who their QB is going to be. Who do you have stepping in for them? This one's a little bit of a wild card. I think they're going to get some low-risk, high-reward guys, players who are like kind of washed out of the league a little bit, someone like Dwayne Haskins, but in this one specifically, Mitchell Trubisky. I think Belichick is going to do some dark magic voodoo and unlock the side of Mitch Trubisky that we rarely see, that we saw a couple years ago against the Buccaneers when they were really bad, where he threw for six touchdowns. That talent and that arm strength is, he's going to fix Trubisky's footwork and he's just going to go off. That's my guess, at least. Yeah, and the Patriots, they're in an interesting spot. And for me, I like to follow the the storylines. And so for me, 
I have the Niners obviously going with Sam Darnold, you know, getting they're removing a lot of cap space there. They have needs in the secondary, a lot of their secondary's free agents. So why not let's let's make a trade. And if you're the 49ers, you give up a third round pick to the Jets, obviously, to get Darnold. And now the Niners give up Jimmy Garoppolo, clearing their $26 million in cap space, and a second round pick for Stephon Gilmore from the Patriots. And when you look at this trade, it may seem a little crazy, but when you look at it, the Patriots tried trading Gilmore at the deadline multiple times. He's a 31-year-old corner who has one year left on his contract. Once he hits that time to get paid again after this upcoming season, he's going to command about 18 to 20 million a year, top-tier corner money. He was defensive player of the year last season. The Patriots get their guy who I think really created the feud between Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. The stories are out there that Belichick wanted to keep Garoppolo over Tom Brady, wanted to trade Brady, and it follows what the Patriots did for years. Those t- the top talent, once it was time for them to get paid again, they moved on from them. They got picks back, and they built up, next man up. That's what the Patriots have done for years. And obviously Kraft said, no, we're not trading Tom Brady and all he's done for the organization. That's when this rift started between those two. Now he's watching Tom Brady win a Super Bowl. He's watching Jimmy Garoppolo play in the Super Bowl the following season, the season before, I mean. So he's like, okay, I'm going to get my guy back, and I'm going to get a second-round pick in return for an aging corner that we're going to lose in a year anyway. I think that move makes sense for New England. They have the money to do it. They're clearing some money with Gilmore and getting an extra second-round pick from it. So you get your QB without giving up your one and adding a two. I think that would be a huge trade for them. And I wouldn't be too shocked if we saw something like that. If the Niners do send Garoppolo back, more of a player in return as opposed to a pick because I think his value is so skewed all over the league. Some are going to value him more than others. I think we could see a player back in return if New England is the team that steps up and makes the trade. We're going to take our last break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we will finish our last remaining teams of the quarterback carousel, and we'll get into the big NBA news that recently went down. James Harden traded to the Nets. I never thought I'd say that. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Unsportsmanlike Conduct. I'm Logan Howell. With me is David Meyer, and we're going to finish up our quarterback carousel here. We have six teams remaining, and we're going to start with the Miami Dolphins. Who's walking out there week one for the Dolphins? Uh, Tua. is going out there. I think there was a little kind of back and forth between him and Ryan Fitzpatrick, but right now it has to be Tua. He's their quarterback of the future. He needs to have playing time. Yeah, you're exactly right. You don't draft a quarterback number sixth overall or wherever they took him last year, top five, top six last season. You don't take a quarterback at that spot just to pull him out in big situations his rookie year. And then when Ryan Fitzpatrick's unable to play and come in when the situations become more pressing and there's a lot more pressure on the Dolphins team, like we saw in the playoff game, Tua doesn't respond well. I wonder why. He's not getting those moments in the regular season. Yes, you finished 10-6, and six, but you now miss the playoffs because Tua was not prepared for that situation going to Week 17 where they had to beat the Bills to win. So I think this Dolphins team is very close to winning, and a lot of people, it's a hot name to replace is Tua, 
but I think they stick with Tua. He's got to be their guy, and if he's not, you need to look to move on from him next season. But you need to figure out what you have here. He hasn't had to respond to adversity. Figure out what you have here. Let him have another year in the offense and also get more healthy. He was a guy that struggled with some injuries in college, had the big hip injury. Now he's coming back from that. Let him kind of learn the system more before we make any rushed decisions on him. I personally think, is Tua going to be a top 10 quarterback? I I don't know if we'll ever see him hit that. I have some question marks about him, but if you took him that high, he better be your guy moving forward. And I'm, I'm excited to see him without Fitzpatrick on the team as well. Next team we have here is the Las Vegas Raiders. It seems like every year uh, people are talking about moving on from Derek Carr. Do you think they finally do it? Realistically, no. But for the sake of the carousel, long live the carousel, <laughs> uh, I have, I'm not sure exactly how trades and contracts work out there, but I have Teddy Bridgewater ending up with the Raiders. He seems, John Gruden really likes certain people and certain players for reasons known only to him. And I get that vibe from Teddy Bridgewater, and I think they're gonna the Raiders are gonna go and get Teddy B, and he's gonna be the starting quarterback for the Raiders. Yeah, so you think Teddy's a Gruden grinder, huh? Yes, the Gruden <laughs> grinders. I think uh, for me, I have uh, Carr coming back and starting for them. I think the coming off the season they had last year, it was disappointing, and you could say that about the Raiders last couple of seasons. But I don't think we see the Raiders move off of Carr until they find a clear-cut upgrade. He's one of those guys that's in that middle tier that we talked about before. You look at the Goff, the Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo's, Derek Carrs. They're all in that same little section. I think they roll with him one more time. I think realistically you could definitely see Marcus Mariota possibly get traded, be a backup somewhere starting in competition for a starting job, not necessarily a backup, but a guy that can compete I think that we could see him get moved but Derek Carr uh, I, I just don't see him get moved this offseason but I think it's always plausible they it's been rumored for many years now now the next team we have here is the Jacksonville Jaguars and they currently have the first pick in the NFL draft new head coach where did they go at the quarterback spot Trevor Lawrence end of sentence Trevor Lawrence, yeah, it's pretty simple. See what he did in college, and you can't argue with the resume that he has. Some people bring up the playoff game that they had against Ohio State, and a little bit of a struggle there. He was playing without two of his top linemen. Also, is missing his top receiver, and Travis Etienne was banged up in that game. It is what it is. He lost that game. I don't think it affects his draft stock. I will say, though, I think they bring in Alex Smith as well. We've seen Urban Meyer uh, brings Alex Smith back. They were together at Utah, and he lets him kind of sit behind Lawrence and develop him. Because at this point, Alex Smith, I don't he's not going to go start anywhere, I don't think. But I think they bring him in there, let him help develop Lawrence, because he's done a very good job of being that mentor. You saw it with Colin Kaepernick. He was the mentor. They go to a Super Bowl. Saw it with the Chiefs. He helped mentor Patrick Mahomes, and now Mahomes is one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in the NFL. So you have to like those results, and I think Urban would like that connection. 
And now we're going to go to their division rival, the Colts. Phillip Rivers retires. They're a playoff team last year, but now they have no quarterback on their team or under contract. Where do they go at the quarterback spot? I have them trading for Jimmy Garoppolo. I think he fits well there as a quarterback who's not the most mobile. He has some... The game for the Colts is mainly around short passing and running the ball, and I think Jimmy Garoppolo fits really well in that. He probably won't be super expensive to trade for, so I think he'll fit well with the Colts, and with his limited mobility in the pocket, that works because Phillip Rivers had limited mobility in the pocket, and they have a very good offensive line in Indianapolis. Yeah, I, I love that fit, and there was rumors that DeForest, DeForest Buckner got traded to the Colts, but there was rumors that before it was Buckner, it was Jimmy Garoppolo who was in that trade package to go to the Colts. So it's an interesting landing spot for them. They've had rumored interest in the past, and it makes sense. When you look at what Jimmy Garoppolo does best, it's across the middle and anywhere from 10 to 20 yards across the middle. He is money every single time. It's the throws outside the numbers and deep down the sidelines that you start to see him struggle a little bit. And with Jimmy Garoppolo, if you're the Colts, you're bringing in a guy that you know you're gonna you know you're gonna win games with. When he's out there, your team wins games. And I think that's what the Colts want at this point. They want a guy who can just do just enough to get those wins and see where it can take them. They about took the Bills the distance and beat them. And they were the hottest team in football at that time with Phillip Rivers. An old Phillip Rivers at that. I like that move. I'd like to see Jimmy Garoppolo, if the Niners do move on from him, go somewhere where he can succeed. And I think the Colts would help him out with that. For me, I have them signing a free agent and drafting a quarterback. I have them signing Mitch Trubisky. I have him coming in. He can be a either a stopgap and or possibly the guy for this team. And I think he fits well with Frank Wright. I think he can obviously help this offense. And Mitch, uh, he is just a little inconsistent for me. And I think with the Colts, he can find that ability that he can get away with that. He can, the defense going to make plays for him. And obviously he has that power run game behind him. He can be a little inconsistent, still be successful I'd like to see how Frank Reich does with them. He did a great job with Carson Wentz. I want to see if he can help turn Mitch around and get him back to that 2018 self. I also have them taking Mac Jones. I think with that, it's a safe bet. You obviously want Mac Jones to be your guy moving forward, but he's a guy with question marks. Bring in Mitch. Mitch is going to start the year, and if he does well, you can focus on keeping him and decide what you do with Mac Jones later. But... If you do want Mac Jones to be that starter, Mitch can come in and help develop a little bit, let Mac develop and get better. I think that would be a good pairing for the two. Our second to last team here is the Houston Texans, and they should not be on this carousel if their front office was ran properly, but here they are. Who's playing for the Texans next year, QB? This one's a little weird because I don't specifically have a location for Deshaun Watson. I just know he's not going to be on the Texans. It's not Houston. It's not Houston. Anywhere but Houston. So I have them trading for Carson Wentz. It's a trade I would not make, but 
if the rule of thumb that I have for the Texans is, should I make this move? If, if I think they shouldn't make the move, that's exactly what they're going to do. Uh, Carson Wentz, I think the Eagles want too much for him. There's the rumor of two first-round picks. I don't think he's worth one, and you already have limited draft capital. So that doesn't matter to the Texans. I think they're going to go out and get him. Yeah, Houston, what a situation they're in in general. We talked about Deshaun Watson extensively last show, and they shouldn't be in that position. You should never let your top five superstar quarterback get that upset. And when you look at it, Watson has every reason to want out. They traded his best targets. They tried trading Will Fuller. They've really not got him much offensive line help. And the money they have spent just been in the wrong places. Their defense has gotten worse over his time there. There's not really much going up for them. And for me, with the Texans, I had the Jets trading for him. So now Houston slides into that number two overall pick. I had them going Zach Wilson. They're going to take him there at two, get that quarterback of the future while they, while they build up draft capital. I think it's an interesting fit. And I say interesting fit because it. I don't want it. I don't want to see that. I love Zach Wilson as a prospect. He's a guy that I think is in the right place is going to flourish. He has all the abilities, the off-platform throws. He's mobile. He can get out of the pocket, and his arm is very underrated. When I was watching the BYU game this year, there's about 28 seconds left until halftime. And Zach Wilson dropped back. He was his own 20, and he steps up in the pocket, doesn't set his feet. He's moving forward and launches the ball about 65 to 70 yards off his front foot, moving, stepping up in the pocket, not even planted, just launches it. And it's a completion. They end up getting points before the half. He's extremely talented. He needs to go somewhere with an offensive mind that can build an offense around him. But for this, I have them taking him there because they do need a quarterback. I don't want it, but is what it is. Last team on the carousel before we move into some NBA talk, the Denver Broncos. Vic Fangio comes in in the last couple of years, tries to turn things around, takes Drew Locke, with a second or third round pick, some question if he's the guy, if he's done good enough. What do you think? Is Drew Locke good enough to be out there next year? I don't think he's the guy. I don't think he's the guy to lead the Broncos to the playoffs. Uh, but I think I do think they're going to make a change. And knowing John Elway, he he wants to go out and get that tall white quarterback, Derek Carr. There's always discussion of Derek Carr being traded, and I think they finally pull the trigger. And going to the Broncos does make a whole ton of sense, but John Elway just really likes tall white quarterbacks. So he finds a way to get Derek Carr on that roster, and I think he could be relatively successful. Yeah, for me, I have them running it back with Drew Locke, but not without competition behind him to take a spot. I have Andy Dalton going there for agency. He gets the veteran competition that could push him either positively or negatively. Dalton could come in there and take that job. Dalton is a guy for me that in Cincinnati, statistically, when you go back and look at his best year in Cincinnati, I believe it was about 33 touchdowns. I want to say less than 10 picks, but probably around 10 picks. That's phenomenal numbers in today's league when you look at that. That's better than your average QB. 
Now, no, he's not the same guy. But in Denver with those weapons, Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, Noah Fant, Cortland Sutton coming back from the ACL tear, I think he could really succeed there. The line is not that bad. They have a good left tackle in Garrett Bowles. He didn't start his career real well, but he's gotten better. I like that fit with Andy Dalton there because I think it's exactly what Denver wants. They want Locke to succeed, but hey, if it doesn't work out, we have a veteran guy who's going to take your spot and we can roll with if we decide to go rookie the following year. And now we're going to move into some NBA talk. The big trade that finally went down. James Harden wanted out of Houston, wanted to go play with Kevin Durant and the Nets. Massive three-way trade here. Does it make the Nets the best team in the NBA now? You know, I'm going to say no. There is a lot of talent. That is, There is no doubt that there is so much talent there, but they're not well-rounded. The biggest problem they have is, you know, you kind of see it, saw it get exposed in those couple games versus the Cavs, who the Cavaliers aren't that great of a team. Defense and rebounding. You lost a decent amount of depth when you traded uh, for Harden, and Harden isn't that great of a defender. He can be okay when he tries, but I don't think he tries all that often on defense. Kevin Durant is a pretty solid defender, but he's kind of alone out there. And Kyrie is just okay on defense, so that's going to be a problem. And They don't have any—like, they traded Jared Allen. They don't have a big guy who's going to pull in rebounds, so they're going to struggle. I think there, but the offense is absolutely electric. Yeah, if you're the Nets making the move, I would have done it too, but you made great points as to what happens when you make a trade like that. And this doesn't remind me of the Heat, let's say, when they brought in um, Wade and Bosch. They still had a deep team around them. You had Ray Allen coming off the bench, guys like Mike Miller and James Jones that, while, yes, their names aren't going to stick out to you, and Shane Battier, those names aren't going to stick out to you, but they were very good role players that could score 12 to 15 points a night if they needed to. The Nets, though, I don't, I don't think they have that anymore. A guy that can come off the bench and really give them good scoring. And do you need the good scoring when you have three of the best scorers of all time? No, but... It's going to be something come playoff time you're going to need help with. Um, this experiment, I think, is going well right now. Not as good as I thought it would, though. I thought it had been a little bit better. Now, the way I would compare it to the Heat is the chemistry they have to build up now. Yes, it helps that Durant and Harden had played together before in OKC, but that chemistry is something they're going to have to learn and develop with each other, and it could be a struggle. Those are three guys that are me, I'm shooting the ball type guys. I'm going to get my shots up no matter what. When you look at Kevin Durant, in OKC he was the guy. When he went to Golden State, he made Steph take the back seat to him, and he was the scorer for that team. Steph still very good and did a great job there, but Durant took over as the scorer. And then when you look at now, who's going to take a step back? James Harden's a guy that's going to get his shots up no matter what. And Kyrie Irving left 
LeBron James after they won a finals because he wanted to be the guy. So if that doesn't tell you enough about this situation, they have three dudes who want to be the guy. So that's interesting. And talking about can they succeed together. Now, another point of it is how hard and forced this trade. I'm all for the players kind of using their leverage, getting out if they want out. I'm all for it, but I really didn't care for the way that James Harden went about it. He didn't. He went out there and just played really bad. It would be a difference if he held out, like a Le'Veon Bell situation. That is, that's fine. But he went out there and just played really bad and sabotaged guys like John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins who are coming off injuries and trying to be successful with the Houston Rockets. It's sabotaging, sabotaging that. And it really stuck out to me, really how sour he was in that locker room. When, right before he got traded, they asked Cousins and John Wall about Harden and the situation. And they both pretty much said, if you don't want to be here, leave. We don't want you here anyway. And if your teammates are saying that about you on your way out, it's not the best look for James Harden. And yes, he's going to be successful with the Nets. But I am also pretty excited to see this Rockets team. I think they could make a little noise if they can sneak into the postseason. Yeah, absolutely. It's the way he went about I I'm all for the rights of players. It's they should be able to get high contracts, have a lot of agency over where they go and how they're how they play, but just sabotaging your team is not the way to go it's it ruins any good faith you had with that team and the number of players who are on that team and it just it doesn't look good for the league or just it's it's a bad look overall and it's kind of bad practice so I wasn't a fan but the trade was huge and that brought a lot of attention so it's it's a hard situation. Yeah, and now to look at Houston a little bit. In that trade, they were able to also get Victor Oladipo to the Rockets with now John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins. And also Christian Wood is playing phenomenal for him. He just got hurt the other night. But when you look at this team, they've put together since Harden's left. I'm not going to say it's better than James Harden being on that team, but it's certainly not much worse. They, I think, can make some noise. I know right now, I believe they're about 10th in the standings. Yeah, they're sitting at 10 at 11 and 12, but they're a game out from being the sixth seed in that Western Conference. And the Western Conference is so tough to begin with. It's a gauntlet if you want to get there. That's why it's very surprising with what the Jazz have done so far this season. But when you look at this Rockets team now, the players they have, do you think that they have this trio they have now of All Depot, Cousins, and Wall, can that be the future of Houston now that Harden's gone? I don't think so. I think they're a decent team right now. Fringe playoffs, especially with how strong the West is as a whole. And they're going to keep those guys for a little bit, but eventually they're going to be traded off for picks or younger guys so it's nice to see DeMarcus Cousins especially after injuries coming back strong 
and I really like the combination there with John Wall, but I don't think they're the future of this team. Yeah, it's interesting what Houston's building, and the return they got back for Harden, I think they can really turn that into good use. They have a lot of picks. If they can hit on those picks, they can really turn this team around and almost seamlessly transition into a post-James Harden, still be successful team. So I like what they've done. They're going to stay successful now, and they're going to continue to get better moving forward while losing a guy who some could argue turned a little toxic in that locker room. The last uh, point we're going to get to tonight before we conclude the show is Derrick Rose gets traded back to the Knicks now. And it's interesting because Tom Thibodeau is the head coach of the Knicks currently, his former coach with the Bulls. Do you like seeing the story of Thibodeau and Rose back together again? It may not be with the Bulls, but just coming back together. Yeah, I, I like the story. And I think Derrick Rose as an acquisition here is fantastic. He's more offensive-minded. The The Knicks are a great defensive team. They're, I think, top 10, nearing top 5 defensively in points per game, but they just can't score. I think they're dead last in points per game as a team, and Derrick Rose, is, if he starts, is going to bring some scoring to that offense. And I I love Derrick Rose. He's one of my favorite players. Watching that injury against the Sixers kind of broke me a little. It's very sad. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough when you look at Derrick Rose. He's a guy that he's one of those what if stories. He would have been the best, probably the best point guard of this decade had he stayed healthy. He would have been right up there with Steph Curry because he had that type of ability. And when you look at what it brings to the Knicks. The Knicks fan base is very, very hard to please. I was at a game at MSG before COVID started, and the crowd the final five minutes chanted, sell the team for the whole five minutes. They had to turn music on to drown out the sound so the players didn't have to sit there and listen to sell the team for five minutes. It was incredible. Music did not stop the whole entire time. It's the only time I've ever seen that in the NBA. They can be very tough to please. Now, a trade for Derrick Rose, that's exciting. And the Knicks aren't as bad as they were. They're, they're slowly improving. They're close to 500, have 11 wins. They're sitting at ninth in the Eastern Conference and only a game out of being the sixth seed. So I think they have room for improvement. Derrick Rose is going to help. And obviously the Thibodeau, Derrick Rose, fans have something to enjoy and look at now. That concludes this episode of Unsportsmanlike Conduct. If you're on social media, give us a follow on Twitter at KLA underscore UC. Give us a like on Facebook at Unsportsmanlike Conduct. And then give us a follow and a like on our recent post on Instagram at KLA underscore UC. Be on the lookout for next week's post of our Black History Month athlete. Thank you for listening and good night. See ya.